people think I'm damaged goods. I'm worried about losing my job. Will I ever get a transplant? I want to see my children graduate from college. How can I afford this? I don't want to be a burden. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed with information. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever fall in love and get married. I just want to play with my friends. You're listening to Kidney Talk, streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen First. Welcome to Kidney Talk. Here we are in the heat of the desert, Lori Hartwell. Out in Palm Springs. I it's pretty here. out here. I it. hate it here. You hate it here? Absolutely hate it. Why do you hate it? Because everything's so expensive. It's so hot. What, why is this a vacation spot? Oh, well, last night they had a street fair. And I was able to buy some animal outfits for my dogs. They're for you, aren't they? <laughs> no, one was a little pirate outfit, and the other one's a little pink dress. It you was know very what? Fun. I, I got to tell you, you, you know, retail. There th- should be laws against people like you and animals. Retail it's animal therapy is a way to you, handle depression. I'm going to see you on Animal Planet on that animal cop <laughs> show where they arrest you for abusing animals. Well, speaking you know, of depression. Speaking of depression, you know, I'm at this meeting today, and I have one of those stylish tops on, like an A shape, and somebody came up and asked me if I was pregnant. Now, wouldn't that make you depressed? That, that's such a rude question. You know, I can't believe I, it. I thought, haven't you ever learned that you don't ask questions you don't know the answer to? Well, that's a lawyer. <laughs> that's a lawyer. But no, but I mean, it's, I'm amazed at what people say sometimes, you know? I know. Sometimes when I've been sick and they come into the hospital room and they're like, are you depressed? And I'm like, well, I am now because, or you don't look very well. And I'm like, thank you. That's just the best compliment I've ever had. I can beat that. I was doing a sci-fi event one time, and the person assigned to me, my liaison, found out I was on dialysis. So she said, we're in the elevator, and she says, so you only have like seven years to live, right? That's what she said to me. Now, talk about depression. Uh, depress- I guess I, I prefer the pregnancy question other than you're going to die in, in seven, seven years. In seven years, you know. But we have a lot to talk about with Mark Meyer. Yes, he's a licensed clinical social worker from Minneapolis, Minnesota. I wonder and if there's like a, a, a test for that. A I test for, we can ask License. Him. So, I, yeah. You don't go to the DMV for that. I don't know. No, but we'll but- find out when we come back. Hello. Hey, Betty. Mary and I are going to lunch at that new Italian restaurant across from the mall. Dying to go to that place. I hear they got great salads. Then the three of us can do a little shopping across the street and just have a girl's day out. Mm, That sounds like fun. I can't wait. Meet us at 1230 at Tuscany's. Ugh. Wait a second. Today's Thursday. I've got dialysis. Just go in early. Are you kidding? They are so strict about the times. And besides, they're all full all day. Maybe next time. I'll tell you about the restaurant and what Mary and I bought at the mall. Such a good friend. There's got to be a better way. Instead of next time, how about next stage? What Betty doesn't know is there is a better way. The Next Stage System 1, the first truly portable home hemodialysis machine, can help you take back your life and set your own schedule for home hemodialysis treatments. After a short training period for you and a partner, you have your own portable dialysis machine right in your own home. All of your supplies are delivered to your doorstep. Taking back your life and setting your own schedule are just part of it. Doing dialysis at home also allows for more frequent dialysis, which better imitates the function of a normal kidney. Many patients doing more frequent dialysis report that they have more energy and feel better. Want to travel? With your doctor's prescription, Next Stage can support travel anywhere in the continental U.S. 
The next stage machine is about the size of a 13-inch TV and has a sturdy travel case available, and all your supplies will be delivered to your destination. So schedule dialysis around your life instead of your life around dialysis. Ask your doctor if home hemodialysis with the Next Stage System 1 is right for you. For more information, call Next Stage at 1-866-NX-STAGE or visit www.nextstage.com. Well, we're here with Mark Meyer from Minneapolis, Minnesota. That's a tongue twister. Why is that a tongue twister? Mark Meyer from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Oh, that Can is. you say it? Have you had people try to say that fast? No, I haven't. That's the first I've heard it said quickly. <laughs> Can you say it quickly? Mark Meyer from Minneapolis, Minnesota. See? It sounds like he's on Deal or No Deal. <laughs> I got a question. Now, there's like 9,000 initials after your name. And what, what do they mean? L-C-S-W for C-K-D and... Well, I, I'm a, I'm a uh, graduate prepared social worker. I have a master's degree in social work, and I'm also licensed in the state of Minnesota as a licensed clinical social worker. Well, oh, so licensed clinical social worker. Yes. Wow. Social workers actually work in the dialysis unit, and they help patients with a lot of different issues. Um, what is your background in working with people who have chronic kidney disease? Well, I started working in the field about 10 or 11 years ago, I guess. I started out as a social worker in a large dialysis facility in Minneapolis mm -hmm. and uh, worked as this social worker for about three years and, and also was a, a lead social worker for the corporation I worked for. So I was in charge of social workers throughout about a five or six state region. And then I was also the facility administrator after I, I was promoted, I guess, from being a social worker. And while I was an administrator, I was trained as a patient care technician. So I actually okay. simultaneously tried to run my clinic and run the patients at the same time. I did that for a little while, but I really missed taking care of and working more directly with, with patients as a social worker. So I then went and, and worked for one of the renal networks for five years before I started my, uh, my own consulting company a couple years back. So, and, and in his spare time, he won the Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> <laughs> you know, depression is such a big part of having a chronic illness. And it, is that one of the reasons that you chose to get in the field? Because you saw a lot of people who had chronic kidney disease having... What she's really asking is, did you see a lot of potential of making a lot of money? Because <laughs> working with terminally ill people or, or chronically ill people, uh, because uh, they're always depressed. Yeah, no, no, that isn't why I did it. I, I have, well, I've been a social worker for about 15 years, and I always knew, I've had a lot of personal and family experience experience with depression as well and um, watch my oh, own. Oh, tell, do tell. Who's, I, I, who's I will depressed tell. in your family? <laughs> I will tell. Um, well, I myself have, have suffered from some bouts of depression and, and as a professional, um, I have found that it has really, uh, really helped me to better understand what people are going through. And, and my depression, I was diagnosed back in college, so about 20 years ago. And I lived on and off with major depressive episodes for about about 10 or 15 years. And what is that, like a depressive episode? 
Well, I, you know, I have a question I think that are clear. What is the difference between, you know, I hear the words, I'm clinically depressed. Right. So what's that between household depression and clinically depressed? Well, depression is, you know, it, it's a word that gets thrown around quite a bit nowadays. And it, and it really, the word depression is not a good descriptor for the normally, you know, the normal bad days we all have from time to time. That's, that's part of life. Depression is differentiated by its intensity and its duration. Those are really the, the, two, um, the two key factors when you're looking at depression. Clinical depression is nine different diagnostic criteria that are in the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of, of uh, Mental Disorders. Guess what? I know that. DSM. <laughs> DSM. The DSM book. Did you read that book? I did. Okay. I had to. Did it help? No, I was depressed. <laughs> <laughs> and so depression is, it's a, it's a complex, really complex medical illness. It's really no different than diabetes or hypertension or um, kidney disease for that matter. It's, it's a medical illness that responds to certain treatments. Is it a chemical imbalance? Can they do a blood test for See, it? See, that's what I thought clinical depression was. It was like a chemical imbalance in your brain. Well, the, the causes of depression are not clear. What we know is that certain antidepressants do act on different chemicals in your brain. Like most medications our physicians give us, we don't really know how or why they work, we just know they do work. But clearly things like serotonin and norepinephrine have been associated, imbalances in those chemicals have been associated in your brain, in people who are depressed. Getting to your question about is there a blood test, interestingly enough, just this past uh, March, folks from the University of Chicago think that they have um, come up with a test that will show different, I can't get into all the proteins that they're testing because I quite frankly didn't understand the whole article myself, but we are moving toward having some t sorts of blood tests. Clearly we know from CAT scans, MRIs, that we can show that people with depression, their brains look different than people who aren't uh, depressed. Now what are some of the symptoms of depression? Well, the, the two big ones that they first look at is that basically, A, are you, are you feeling depressed? Are you feeling sad or down most of the day for a number of days in a row? And then the other big one is if you've lost interest in activities or things that you previously enjoyed doing. Um, one of those two have to be present for the diagnosis of depression. But other issues are, and this is where it gets challenging in the kidney world, is some of these other symptoms can look like kidney disease, things like fatigue, loss of energy, loss of appetite, sleep difficulties are real common in depression. But then what can set depression apart is feelings such as, um, you know, feeling guilty or worthless about yourself, recurrent thoughts. And you really don't have to be Catholic to feel guilty no, either. No, no, <laughs> no. In, in fact, uh, this is, a, this is a, an equal opportunity disease. A lot of people I know say they're depressed. Mm -hmm. I think it's like normal everyday stuff. I think that's what happens is that we tend to think that we should always be happy when really happy is not necessarily the normal state we all feel. But depression, like I said, it lasts longer. We all have bad days. We all have really bad days. When people have chronic illnesses, um, you know, you're likely to have periods of time that may or may not be depression. But yeah, you're having a string of bad days. Um, it's when it really, like I said, when it starts to last, the, the cutoff is only two weeks. So if you had those symptoms I talked about for two weeks straight, you, you would be diagnosed with a major depressive episode. And, and I know with people with chronic disease, because I know one of the main symptoms is the feeling of hopelessness. Right, absolutely. And, you know, a lot of times people on dialysis, 
not so much transplant right. people, but on dialysis, people feel hopeless. They go, this is not the life that I was living six months ago before I was on dialysis. Right. So, you know, I guess it's a great, life adjustment. It is a life adjustment. It really well, is. Well, you know, after I had my transplant, I started taking steroids and I was like on an emotional roller coaster. One minute I was okay. The next minute I was like bawling. Mm-hmm. And what is oh, that? Oh, well, that, that's, <laughs> oh my gosh. No, what is no, that? I won't touch that one. No, I, I, I've had that. that too. It was just this roller coaster Well, when coaster I first got emotions. a transplant, um, I was on a real high dose of steroids and you know, I didn't like my tapioca pudding on the tray, and I started crying and screaming and everything. <laughs> it's really awful. It really is. It's swings. embarrassing. When you have mood swings, can that relate to depression? Absolutely. What you find with depression is that your mood tends to stay down for really kind of a chronic uh, period of time. And, and the mood swings probably associated with the steroids is more medication-induced, which Unfortunately, many of the medications that people on dialysis have to take, particularly related to hypertension, they cause depression. So really, really? Like, I didn't know that. They give you a, a lot of beta blockers. Um, <gasps> they are directly associated with depression. They don't tell you that. Well, they don't I, even say that on a little commercial on TV. They never tell you that. So that's oh, that's man. one of the problems is that we give you a medication to deal with one issue and we give you another Call, at the same time. Another. Wow! Now I'm depressed. So <laughs> I got to go home and check my blood pressure medication and find out if it causes depression. It's Just like, Imagine how happy I would be if I was taking some depressants right now. Antidepressants? <laughs> but you know, it's so weird because isn't the antidepressant Zoloft like, you know, people commit suicide or? Well, the, you know, there's been a lot of a lot of popular myths and, and that have been portrayed in the media um, regarding antidepressants and the, the whole black box warning that was slapped on antidepressants for teens in particular. What frequently happens is that some of the medications when you've been depressed um, and they start you on them, they do lift your mood and people get agitated. People do, there is a small percentage of people who start these medications who do experience changes in, um, like I said, levels of agitation. But really the, the associated suicides, for example, the study used that, that went into putting the black box warning on antidepressants for teens, all that we saw was an uptick in suicidal thoughts. We never actually saw any associated suicides. Mm-hmm. Well, I have had some friends that have suffered from depression, and they literally just couldn't get out of bed. Right. It's hard for me to imagine that, because I don't think I've ever been depressed to that level, other than when I both my knees replaced, I couldn't get out of bed. Right. Yeah, it's hard to imagine the despair you should feel when you don't even have the energy to get up and eat or just lay in bed. And is that one of the most common signs of depression? Well, it certainly can be. Now, not everybody who's depressed is gonna be stuck in bed for days on end. That's one of the tricky things with depression is that it it's so much more than just an emotional disease. It has physical um, uh, parts to it that I mentioned. Um, but yeah, that, that loss of energy, that loss of desire, and I think like Steven said, really that loss of hope. And it is hard for people to verbalize to other people how desperate they feel when, just like you said, Lori, it's, it's hard to even picture what that can look like if you've never gone through it. It, what, what does it look like a person being depressed do they just they are, they're not walking down the street just weeping you know? no but you know it does have a look and it's it's people who look like they're moving in slow motion or when you speak to people that's me all the time though <laughs> I should say maybe that's age but I guess I don't know how old you are so I shouldn't say I'm that. very I'm old sorry. very very old you know depression does have a look people they 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 look withdrawn they 
perhaps stop taking care of their hygiene. That's a big part of it. You like I not s- a word, Lori. <laughs> <laughs> you look smell great. a little Thank bit you. in here. And as you start to talk to people, you, depression has a real sound to it, where people are saying, "What's the point? I don't see why I should do this. I'm such a burden." Mm-hmm. Like you said about the patients losing hope. That's such a key factor. Mm-hmm. Is that loss of interest in living? You know, when we come back, I want to tell you about a situation I was just in two days ago, but uh, and it was an, an amazing situation, and I was kind of at a loss for words, even though I spoke to the person for like three hours. <laughs> so that's when we come back, because I have to go bathe because I'm depressed. Driving a cab in a Big Apple could really get on your nerves with all the traffic, the noises, the rude drivers. Oh, watch where you're going, wise guy. Get some glasses. Oh, where was I? Oh, yeah, the rude drivers. There's one thing I wish was a little louder or not so quiet. Secondary hyperparathyroidism. I know it's a big word, but you know what? It's a big problem. It's often referred to as a silent disease. I didn't even know what I had until I experienced weakness, achy bones, itchy skin, and sexual dysfunction. But you didn't hear that last one from me. Some people call it the bone disease because of the loss of too much phosphorus and calcium. But what you don't know, Mr. Smarty Pants, is that it also affects soft tissue like the heart, the lungs, the blood vessels, bada bing, bada boom, and that's about everything. So don't be a wise guy. Wise up and talk to your doctor about the big boy. Secondary hyperparathyroidism. Whoa, for crying out loud, do me a favor, Grandma. Get off the road and throw away your keys. The other day, um, this guy who's on dialysis, as three weeks after he went on dialysis, he went totally blind. And, you know, he just needed somebody to talk to. Right. Mm-hmm. So I went over to talk to him, and it was like three hours. And he totally felt hopeless because he felt he was a burden on his wife who broke down and started crying in front of me. And it they, impacts they have a the whole family. Daughter. It impacts yeah, the, it's it a family disease. Family. Depression is a family disease, just like alcoholism, yeah. any other type of life-changing right. illness. I mean, I want, is there a support group for, like I know there's Al-Anon and stuff, is there a support group for people who have family members who are depressed? There's quite a few organizations, the National Association of the Mentally Ill, NAMI, or the Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance. They need um, to rename themselves. Yes, they're not the easiest, they're, they're those, yes. those, those initials again. And NAMI sounds a lot like NAMBLA. Yes. And so, yeah, there are, there are support groups out there across the country. There's, there's lots of support groups. So how is it unique to kidney disease, though? Because it's chronic kidney disease and depression. When you're diagnosed and you have to go on dialysis, it's such a life-altering change. Are you more prone to depression? Well, you're more prone to depression when you have any chronic illness, particularly diabetes, which obviously so many of our, our folks on dialysis are diabetic, and with chronic kidney disease. According to the literature, we know that about 40% of all patients on dialysis are probably suffering from major depression. And why diabetes? Is um, it because of the... Um, because you're constantly sick. 
it's oh. it's Con- it's such a chronic. It eats every part of the body. And it's really that const- constant chronic stress. I think is a big part of it. And and again, medications play into it. Um, and you know, we don't really have a great understanding of of what comes first. There's there's new studies out there showing that if you're depressed, you're more likely to become diabetic. So not right. just that if you're diabetic, you're going to be depressed. But in kidney patients in particular, it is. It's a life-altering um, event, and some folks just cope better with those things than others. And, and when you have that ongoing stress and don't have the support you need, obviously it can really take its toll. Well, how can it impact your family members, and what do family members need to do to help protect themselves if one of their family members are depressed? Well, haven't you seen that commercial on television? Which one? It says, you know, how do you recognize depression and the guy standing in the doorway just, he can't move and his family's looking at him going, you know. That, I haven't like seen the, that one. <laughs> That's because you fast forward the commercials. I know, you I have TiVo. The TiVo thing, and you don't get to see. My favorite, I love my the side effect of Amirapex. It gives you, su- it's restless leg okay. syndrome. It gives you a sudden urges to gamble and have sex. Oh, there you go. So I love that. I don't know where they came up with that, where the study is for that. <laughs> and you can, you can blame it on that. Well, depression, obviously, like any illness, impacts the family in many different ways. In, pr- in particular, you know, if mom or dad or your brother or sister is suddenly depressed and withdrawn, it changes the family dynamics. Mm-hmm. And just like any illness, I think families have to be real proactive in encouraging people to get the help they need to really staying involved and, and on the person to deal with their depression. I think that like any illness, depression, you when you're the person suffering from it, you too have a responsibility to address what's going on in your life. Well, I've known some families who, you know, people are depressed, but nobody wants to talk about right. it. Because it's a secret. You know, if we don't really acknowledge it, it's not there. Exactly. And it's it's still, there's lots of stigma still associated with depression. Oh, absolutely. As a man who's been on television news programs talking about men in depression, it's amazing the reaction I get from people saying, wow, I can't believe you're willing to talk about it. When, like I said, it's really, having depression is no different than having diabetes or any other medical. Society doesn't think that way. Right. You know, it's just like, you know, when people call alcoholism a disease, right. a lot of people don't think that. It's a chemical imbalance. A lot of times, correct? Primarily. It really is. And, and like I said, we don't know exactly why. Uh, genetics are certainly a big part of it. The chemical imbalances. It's, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a systemic illness, just like all the other illnesses we've been talking about. You know, I, and I think family history or just personality has to do with it, too, because I knew two women who both had MS or MD. I can't remember. I think MS, multiple sclerosis. Multiple sclerosis. And one was just never left her house. She was constantly depressed, constantly smoked. And the other one was like, I got it. I got my mobile wheelchair. She had a little bicycle horn on her wheelchair, and she was real active and everything. So it's two people with the same exact disease, totally acting different. Exactly. I think some people have the ability just to be able to look at the glass half full instead of the glass half empty. And is that something you're born with, or is that something you... Train Why does everything yourself? go back to drinking with you? Drinking, because, you know, that can really cure depression. Actually, can enhance <laughs> Yeah, <it>. no. <laughs> well, and again, you know, there, there's more and more coming out about people's coping styles. I just mm-hmm. read an interesting article about bullying. And they bullying? found bullying in the, okay. so this, the playground. 
People who have been bullied are oh bully bully bullied, bullied. Okay, like it's I'm the Minnesota accent. Take your lunch money from you. Oh, I, I people didn't, I who didn't have been that. bullied um, suffer from depression in later adolescence and their young adult years at a far greater rate than people who. What do you haven't. think that is? Well, I think it's intimidation. I think Absolutely, it's I think yeah. it's it's stress. I think it changes. You know, in those very formative years of life, it changes how you look at life, how you deal with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it, it again, it just manifests itself over time. Well, who can patients talk to about depression if they need help? Well, I think the critical people to talk to are your physician and, and the social worker. But I think anybody in the dialysis clinic is, you know, I think they should raise the issue with whoever they're comfortable with. You know, I find social workers, though, in dialysis units are not... I mean, they're trained, they're licensed, but they're not well trained at dealing with problems. They're, they book travel. You know, that's what they do. Right. The dialysis clinic is a great place to identify and refer problems out. And so if you are a patient suffering from depression, your social worker or your physician could either talk to you about medication or help you find counseling, which is such an important part of this. Because it's really, you know, the dialysis clinic is not a place to do one-on-one counseling. It's not private. You know, you shouldn't be counseling people when they're when they're having um, their blood cleaned on a machine. That's just not the appropriate time to be counseling people. So, but certainly social workers, nurses, and we have a long way to go. Stephen's absolutely right. The treatment or the identification of depression in dialysis facilities is horrific. It's just not happening on a regular basis. The identification. Now, a lot of times I've heard you can have situational depression, and is that? common with just being no, diagnosed what, what with is situational depression it's situational what i guess your circumstances is just for maybe a couple of months right well that's because there's a, a particular stressor that's happening right, right? Exactly. like a, a death in a the death. family a death mm-hmm. is the perfect one and 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 what you would say is that you know when somebody dies obviously if someone close to you dies it's a traumatic event but as time passes um those emotions tend to lessen and we begin to cope with things better I would say you're at risk of running depression if let's, and you know, there's no guaranteed amount of time to grieve, but you know, if somebody dies and 12 months later, you still aren't getting over it at all, you're not getting out of bed, you're not doing things you used to do, then you would want to be, you'd be concerned about what's going on. And that's where a good uh, social worker, psychologist, psychiatrist could really use their clinical skills to help you figure that out. Now, what are the treatments for depression? Well, there's, there's quite a few, but really the standard treatments are both antidepressants and therapy. And, you know, what's critical is that in mild to moderate depression, neither one has been shown to work better. And a lot of times when people are given antidepressants, they may not be given it appropriately, either the right dose or, or the right medication. It's, it's a juggling act to really make sure that the treatment is appropriate. So Now, do you recommend that somebody be on antidepressants without uh, counseling? I would suggest it's not a good idea. No, in fact, again, study after study has shown that the best way to deal with depression is, is a combination of the two. They're not magic pills. They're, they are not... Um, they don't, M&Ms are, though. Well, that's right. <laughs> but the antidepressants are not a magic pill. What they do is they help you to not feel so depressed, but they don't change your life circumstances. They don't change how you look at life. They don't change how you cope with difficult situations. Do you feel, in your opinion, that antidepressants are overprescribed? I think antidepressants are not necessarily overprescribed. I think that they're prescribed frequently to the wrong people. 
and that people who are truly suffering from depression are the ones we're not finding and the ones we're not identifying. I think people who go in and say, I'm having a crummy day and the doctor wants them off mm -hmm. their back, gives them a nice little right. prescription. Right, I've, I've heard of that happening, where they go, oh, let me write you a prescription right. and not really finding the root cause of why you're feeling depressed. Exactly. Well, th this yes. is fascinating, isn't it? It is. It's, you know, anything that um, the listeners should know about taking antidepressants, are there any side effects from taking an antidepressant? Well, yeah, for, especially for kidney patients. Well, here we go again. Again, you know, we, we try to fix one thing and we cause other problems. Um, the common class of drugs are known as SSRIs. Another um, initial. What does yes, that mean? Those are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. It's a mechanism how they work in your now brain. That's the so one case uptake. where I like the initial better. <laughs> they uptake in your inhibitors. They 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 help with the serotonin <laughs> uptake in your in your brain. Um, in people with kidney disease, you do have to be careful, and usually doses are started at a lower rate than what you would give to someone. Because you don't get rid of it, maybe like in dialysis. Well, or? not all kid, not all antidepressants are cleared through your kidney. Actually, most of them are cleared through your liver. However, with all the other issues that kidney patients face, um, particularly a lot of chronically uh, ill, frail elderly. You just want to start lower because it's safer to see how people are going to react. The problem is, though, is that if the physician starts you too low and you don't have any benefit and you get the side effect problems, which can be anything from, you know, the typical dizzy, nausea, vomiting, profound yeah. sexual side effects sometimes, which is a big reason people don't like to take the medication. What, what are those? I want to know about the sexual side effects. <laughs> well, anything from difficulty being aroused to difficulty with erections to difficulty having orgasms. So a lot of younger people are really reluctant to, to take the medications for those very reasons. Hey. My wife must be on antidepressants. <laughs> How long does it take? How long for does what a, take? Medication to take effect. You want to stay on it at a proper dose for at least four to six weeks to see if it's working. If it's working, then the data is clear that you want to stay on it for at least another nine to twelve months before you go off it. Otherwise, you risk um, freaking out. Well, you risk a high high rate of recurrence of your depression. Mm -hmm. Depression's a chronic illness, and if you don't deal with it um, at its root, it will come back, and it usually comes mm -hmm. back worse and harder to treat. It's a progressive disease, huh? It is a progressive disease, absolutely. Well, you know, this has been really interesting because I think depression is so misunderstood and I think a lot of people who are on dialysis or have a transplant, you know, suffer from depression at one time in their life with oh, an illness. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, you know, there's nothing to be ashamed about. I, I think that's the biggest point that I want people to hear is that this is part of the human experience, unfortunately, for some folks. And, and getting help is, it's such a treatable disease once you get a handle on how to treat it. About 80% of all people feel better once they get on the proper antidepressant and get some counseling. So don't be ashamed, don't be afraid to ask for help because odds are a lot of other folks in your situation are dealing with the same issues. Right, even the people treating you, like you said, you, you went through some depression. Yes. I found that most people, like, you know, when I was in school, most of my teachers who were teaching psychology and stuff, they were really whacked out. Hi, hi, I'd like to think I'm not completely whacked out. But no, I'm, no, but there's a high rate of that. High rate of depression I in read healthcare. an article about that. High rate of depression in healthcare workers, nurses, social workers, doctors, very high rate. Because of they're around, you know, sickly people Chronic, all the time. Tr trying right. situations, absolutely. And sometimes it's very frustrating because they can't feel that they can make a difference. Right. You know, so. other than, you know, the high rate of depression, also, deli workers. Deli very, workers. Quite deli, depressed. Deli, quite because depressed. They, they don't quite like serving pastrami. No, it's just they, they go home and they smell like pickles.
I learned so many initials today. It's fascinating to learn how depression can just invade people's life and not even know it. Now, have you ever been, do you think clinically, has it ever gone yeah, down to I've you for two been, weeks? Yeah, I've, I've actually have been treated for situational depression. Situational. Yes. And so just, I had some really hard times in my life and I, well, you, you have, know, I mean, was, you've been a patient since but, you've been two. Yeah, but one of the best ways that I deal with being depressed is, is eating raw hamburger meat no I, the way i deal with depression is i have to be around color like fabric or beads or flowers or that's how i cope now, have I know you ever when gone start- to a therapist about that well i haven't because there's not one that specializes in that but if i'm depressed i have to pick myself up and walk to a michael store and just walk through it and figure out what i can and I, basically what i'm doing is i'm getting my mind off the situation so that's how I've dealt with my illness a lot of times is making something or getting involved in something to get my mind off the situation. I mean, does it have to be a Michael store or it can, can be, it be? Oh, it can be a Joann's. It can be a, anything that's artsy craftsy on there. Oh, I see. I, I know the, the <laughs> only time I was really depressed was, um, you know, when I first actually went into the dialysis unit for the first time. And because I saw all these very elderly people. Looked horrible. I can tell you one thing you shouldn't do when you're depressed, and that's turn on the news. Why? Because that'll make you more depressed. So I always, you know, turn on music or, again, go shopping, make something. That's always, you know, or just go make some cookies or something. Get involved in, and yeah, get your mind off of the That's a good thing to do, to tell diabetics situation. who are mostly kidney patients. Sugar-free diet, diet cookies. <laughs> okay. But um, also, um, Mark was very uh, knowledgeable about, you know, recognizing depression. And I think we got to take some of that with us and yes. how to recognize it. And everything. I think everybody needs to know to not be ashamed. We can control our own destiny. We can take charge of our health and ask questions about our medical options. We can form partnerships with our health care team. We can take steps towards self-improvement. We can be sensitive to the impact of our disease on our family. We can sing, dance, laugh, and enjoy our lives. We can appreciate today and look forward to tomorrow. We can help and support our fellow patients. We can pursue our hopes and dreams. We can make a difference. Kidney Talk is sponsored by generous donations from Amgen, Abbott, Genzyme, American Regent, and Fresenius Medical Care. The opinions, recommendations, statements, and advice contained on Kidney Talk are for information only. You should not use the information on the show to diagnose or treat a health problem or disease without first consulting with a qualified health care provider. Please consult with your health care provider about any questions or concerns you may have regarding your condition or dietary regimen.